I invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be beginning there in just a moment. But first, it's good to have everyone out with us that is with us. We, uh, if you're visiting with us, you're a delighted guest and we're glad that you're here. We ask that you stick around for just a few minutes after the services. That way we get to know you a little bit, get to talk with you before you leave. Um, if you're just a member here, it's, it's good to see you as always. Um, it's, it's good to be able to study God's Word together, worship Him together, and ultimately try to uh, make some application as we, as we do study His Word. I appreciate all the men that have led us so far. Cody's done a good job in leading us in songs. Um, Brother Rick leading us in opening prayer. We were talking a little bit before the service began, and after the Bible class this morning, some of the guys were saying, what a day to lead in a public prayer uh, after all the comments that were made. But he, he did a good job in leading us, and I, I, I just appreciate all the, the, all the men here and all the work that they put into making sure that, that as they're leading us in worshiping God, that they, uh, they put time and effort into that, deep thought into that, so that way they can do a better job in leading us, and, and ultimately we can do a better job in worshiping Him. Uh, as I said, if you want to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, I want to begin by asking a question. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If, if someone came up and asked you, I'm gonna, I want to ask a few questions. If someone were to ask you a couple of these questions, how would you respond initially? Or would you be able to respond? If someone came up and asked, what is a good work? How would you respond? Could you respond? If someone came up and asked, what does God require of the Christian? Uh, that would be a bit more challenging of a question because that's kind of a broad one. How do I know I am doing what God requires of me? If someone were to come up, if your child, if, if a friend, a co-worker was to come up and ask you, how, would you be able to respond to them? Would you be able to give them an answer that is sufficient, uh, that is effective in teaching? This is uh, really just a few things that I want to focus on this morning as we ask overall, are you equipped to do good works? Are you equipped to do what God has required of you as a Christian? Are you equipped to, to be a Christian? Uh, and, and really in 2 Timothy chapter 3, this is a very familiar passage. I just want to read it very quickly. Beginning in verse 14, usually we just read verses 16 through 17, and I think we kind of lose some of the context when we do that. I want to get a little bit more of the context. As Paul is writing to Timothy, a young evangelist, and telling him about some of the problems that are going to come up, telling him how he needs to act, how he needs to be, the things that he needs to teach, this is something he says in verse 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped, for every good work. Now, as you think about that, that passage that, that Paul writes for, for Timothy in this second epistle to Timothy, it really poses, I think, an important question for all of us, especially, but all who want to be a servant of God, all who want to be a man of God, as he says, as the New American Standard puts it in, in verse 17. So, so are you equipped? 
to answer some of these questions. Are you equipped? I just want to look at a few things that you see throughout these verses. Uh, a very, very textual lesson this morning, but I kind of want to take it backwards. I want to start with verse 17. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 17, he says, So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. When you talk about a good work, these are things that we are supposed to be busy about. That the Christian is supposed to be busy about. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 2, what you find <clears throat> as, as God is, or as Paul is writing to, to fellow Christians about what they were made for, I think it's very interesting what he says in verse 10. Uh, this is a familiar passage for many because a lot of our denominational friends love this passage. What's interesting is that they tend to leave off verse 10. But it will begin uh, in verse 8. The verses that we know probably pretty well. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, first of all, if you walk in something, what that means is you're active in it. But, but particularly when you think about what we were created for. Now, certainly we were created to look like God. We were created in the image of God. But particularly those who are people and servants of God, they have been recreated in the image of Christ. And if you have been recreated, if you've become a Christian, then your purpose in this life is to engage in these good works, to engage in these good deeds, your translation may say. This is our purpose as Christians. And you know what? There's, Jesus makes this abundantly clear in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And beginning in verse 14, he says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. For Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. In verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. How, how are we supposed to glorify our Father who is in heaven? We are supposed to be doing good works that people can see. Obviously not just for vain glory, but we need to, it needs to be evident in our lives. These good works that, that God requires from us. Works that, that are, are defined by God. Now, when you think about the, the illustration that he gives here in, in verses 13 through 16 of Matthew chapter 5... <laughs> You think about the folly of someone. Who, why do you turn on a light? Well, to brighten up the darkness, to, to shed light on that which we cannot see. Does anyone turn on a flashlight and cover it immediately? No. Why? Because that, that doesn't make sense. The whole purpose is to shed light on the matter. But, but what, what and, and, and I mean, that looks foolish and that would be silly if someone did that. But what Jesus is saying is it is that foolish when a Christian who has been created for these good works is not engaging in them. It is just as foolish as the person who says, I need light, turns it on, and immediately covers it. It's foolish. It's, it's, it's not supposed to be that way. You know, um, I was thinking about this um, as we were discussing in the Bible class on Wednesday. We've been going through Ephesians, and we were looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and we discussed the need to be light Instead of darkness, we were saved from the domain of darkness. Now we are to be uh, a light to the people. We are to be a city set on a hill, as it says in Matthew 5. And we are supposed to be able to expose the deeds of darkness. And, and he really leans heavily on that kind of language in Ephesians chapter 5. In, in the middle of the chapter, towards the end of the chapter. Now, 
If when we become Christians, if God has turned us into light, does that mean that we just don't have to do, we don't have to expose the darkness? Does that mean that if God has turned us into light, that we do not have to engage in these good works? really works of light that are going to glorify our Father. No, if God has turned us into light, it is to light up the darkness around us. And, and so just, just from this standpoint, just like a lamp, we have a very specific purpose. And we are not allowed to just neglect our responsibilities. We have a great responsibility to engage in good works. Now, does God say that we only have to engage in the good works that we want to? No, over in Second uh, Timothy again in chapter two, Second <clears throat> Timothy chapter two, in verse twenty-one, God uh, through Paul says, "Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for what? For every good work." Every good work. And, and we're going to look at uh, Colossians in just a moment. But just from, from this standpoint, as he talks about be, becoming or being used by God, we are either going to be a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Now, we get to choose, choose which one. What do, you think the vessels of, what do you think the distinction will be between the vessels of honor and dishonor? Well, especially in verse 21, it seems to be those who, though they should have been prepared for every good work, whether they are engaging in those things or not. Over in Colossians chapter 1 in verse 10. Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1 in verse 10. I, I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it's because as, as he's talking about how, how we have been saved by Christ, by God. <clears throat> in verse 10. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. One, one of the reasons this is uh, one of my favorite passages is because, first of all, uh, I like the way the New American Standard puts it, that, that in all respects we can please him. But I like the way the ESV says it even better. That you can walk in a manner worthy, how? Fully pleasing to the Lord. Did, did you know that you could walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, to the Father? You can. And that should be so exciting for us. That should, be, uh, that should be motivating for us. That I can walk in a manner that is fully pleasing to God. That's what Paul says. Now, how do we do this? To walk in a manner, uh, in a manner fully pleasing to God. Bearing fruit in some good works? Bearing fruit in good works every now and then? He says bearing fruit in every good work. So we don't get to come up and say, I don't really know if uh, I really like that one. Uh, I think I'm going to leave that responsibility off. Even from, even from a, a secular standpoint, when you're hired for a job or you're hiring someone else for a job, let's say you go to the interview, you're, you're talking, they say, you know what, we love it. We're going to hire you. This is your list of responsibilities because this is your, and this is going to be your title. This is going to be your pay. This is your benefits. Now, when you look at that list of responsibilities after they've said you're hired, are you going to be able to pick and choose which ones you want to take and which ones you kind of want to leave off? Do you get to say, I, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty good with this software and I think I actually enjoy the, this other stuff, though, maintenance and all this. I don't really like doing that. So you're just going to have to give that to somebody else. <laughs> well, you were just hired. You're probably going to be just fired. <laughs> 
You don't, no one would even think to, to talk to their new boss after they've had a really good interview and they've finally been hired. No one's going to think to, to even say, I, I, I don't really want to do some of this stuff. In fact, the inclination more so is, oh, tell me what more I can do because we want to be fully pleasing to the boss. Now, with that being said, I think that translates over to the Christian's responsibilities. Can a Christian say, well, I like to evangelize, but I'll be honest, I'm not really interested in encouraging people. I'm not really interested in, in encouraging brethren. Could a Christian say that? There's one good work I like, this other good work, I'm just not going to do it. Could a Christian say, I'll teach, that's a good work. But hospitality, which is also another good work, that's just not really my thing, so I'm just not going to do it. Could a Christian say that? Could a Christian say, I like talking about things, um, not just a Christian, imagine if a preacher, imagine if I tried to say this, I like talking about things that people agree on, but the things that people have a hard time hearing, the things that people have a hard time agreeing on, I'm, just not, I'm never going to talk about that in the pulpit. <laughs> well, you're gone, <laughs> and rightfully so, because we don't, get to, we don't get to make those decisions. The way we are walking in a manner that's fully pleasing to the Lord is engaging in every good work, not just picking and choosing the ones that we think are going to be fun or entertaining. Every good work. That's our responsibility as a Christian. Now, thinking about the kind of dedication that God says we should have in this, I really like the way the New English Translation puts this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 17. Instead of saying that the man of God may be adequate, it says that the person dedicated to God may be capable and equipped for every good work. I really like that translation because uh, clearly we know what a man of God is. That is someone who, who has given themselves to God, submitted themselves, they have become a Christian, they're a part of his kingdom. But I think often, it, maybe just in our minds, we kind of leave off all of the things that are entailed in that, like the kind of dedication that should define a man or woman of God. We're not just talking about someone who's just been saved and now they don't have to do anything anymore. We're talking about someone who is zealous, someone who is genuinely, sincerely excited to do God's will. Someone who is dedicated. Over in Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, Paul again to another young evangelist talks about what we have been saved from and saved Four. It says in verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, in verse 10, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Now, again, what, are we, what does he instruct us to do? He's instructing us to deny ungodliness. We're supposed to get rid of, of you know, the deeds of darkness. We're supposed to do away with that which God has not talked about in his will. And we're supposed to put on every good deed. Can a Christian be described as dedicated to God and his works if he's not zealous for them? Can we be described as dedicated? Dedicated. If... I am not engaging in good works. Now, maybe you are engaging in good works. Can you, can you say that you are dedicated to God if you're picking and choosing? Can you say you're dedicated to God if, if you're not 
doing every good work or at least trying to bear fruit in every good work? I don't think he can. Because the Bible says otherwise. And so this is the kind of people that we are supposed to be. If we want to be adequate, if we want to be a man of God, if we want to be truly dedicated to God, we are going to be about these good works. Now, the question then comes, what is a good work? And I think you find that just going backwards in the text we've already read in verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate. Equipped for every good work. Now, I want to focus on this verse because here, I think, is, is the answer to this question. What is a good work? Now, if a Christian does a work in God's name, does that necessarily mean that it's automatically a good work? Or is there, a little, is there more qualifiers for that to decide whether it's a good work? Go over to Romans chapter 2 very quickly. Romans chapter 2. Here's an interesting passage. Romans chapter 2, <clears throat> as Paul is kind of going through uh, uh, layers of arguments, he begins in Romans chapter 1 by talking about something that all the Jews could agree on. Gentiles are lost, clearly. They didn't have God. Well, then he comes to chapter 2, and now he seems to be reinforcing that argument by, by really saying, if they're lost, then you much more so because you had the law, and you should have known better. And so, as he's making this case, he speaks about God and the wrath and the judgment that's coming upon those uh, who are against him. Look in verse 6. God who will render to each person according to his deeds. And you, it could also be translated works. It's the same Greek word. To those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, wrath, and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of, of man who does evil of the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. So what, what is he saying? You will be judged according to your deeds. And there are deeds of unrighteousness, there are deeds of, of righteousness. And, and as we will be judged by that, even though one may claim to be religious, even though they may not just claim, but they are religious, they can still be guilty of evil deeds. For example, remember what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? There is, it's, 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 I remember talking to somebody one time about this passage, and they said, well, this is someone who's just claiming to be a Christian. Paul does not use words lightly, and he says, this is a brother. This is a Christian who is acting in a way that he should not be, and he's unrepentant. And so what does Paul say you need to do? Well, you need to withdraw from him. And why? Because of his evil deeds. He was a religious man. He was a Christian. But he was guilty of doing something sinful and being unrepentant. Now, just because he was a Christian... Does that mean it was a good work? No, of course not. So, so we understand that, that even, even those who are Christians could uh, be guilty of evil deeds. And just because you are a Christian, that doesn't mean every single action you do is a good work. There's more qualifiers we have to do that. Just think about Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. They did something in God's name. They wanted to do something that would have looked good for them. They, they, gave a, a great, they sold a great portion of their land, and they gave a, a good portion of that, um, a good portion of what they had received from that 
in, in contribution. And that was a good deed in and of itself. But they had bad motivations because they were trying to lie to the Holy Spirit. They were trying to lie to everyone around them. And they were saying, oh, we gave everything when really they were holding things back. They did something in God's name, but they turned it into an evil work, didn't they? And so just because one is a Christian, just because one is religious, that doesn't mean that everything is a good work. So we need to figure out how to determine what is and what is not a good work. And ultimately, it comes down to what is God's will. He is the standard. That's, that's true from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God would say, you be holy. Why? I'm I'm holy. And, and he would talk about being good to the sojourner or the stranger. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. Sometimes that was the, the, the answer that they were given. And it's the same in the New Testament. It comes down to God's will because he is the ultimate standard. We don't just get to come in and start picking and choosing what we're going to say is a good work. Now over in Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 21, I think it kind of makes this point pretty clearly. As he's talking about God, how he's the God of peace, who, is, who has given us this great shepherd in Jesus, he says in verse 21, God equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I, again, I like the way that ESV puts this uh, because it, it says, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. Now, going back to uh, what we read in verse 17, uh, in, in the New English translation, it talks about not just the man of God, but the man, the one who is dedicated to God. He is going to be the one, if he's looking to the scriptures, he will be capable of doing good works. I would suggest, I would strongly suggest that you cannot, period, be capable of good works unless it is defined and revealed by God. If it's defined by someone else, if it's found, if it's answered by someone else, you, can't, you went to the wrong source. He is the only one. So if something is not contained in his will, can it be considered a good work? No. So there are some, some individuals who would say, we need to spend money on, on a fellowship hall. Do you, do you find that? Do you find that in, in God's will? No, you don't find that. So why are you saying it's a good work? Some would say that we're going to use the Lord's money to build a gymnasium. Or we're going to use the Lord's... And I'm not, I'm not making this up. I, I know people who have done this before. I know them personally. There were people who said, you know what? All this money that we've accrued for, for God's purposes and, and, to, and for God's kingdom, what, what they did was they put that money into bringing, having the whole church in a movie theater watching Disney movies. Wow, I didn't realize The Lion King had so much Bible in it. No, no, they, they weren't using that money to hear the Bible. They were using that money on social things, on things that had nothing to do with God's will. But this is a good work. It's bringing people together. Who said it's a good work? It's clearly not God. You don't find any of that in the Bible. Not in his will. Oh, that's, that's yours. That's not his. That's yours. You think about, and we even talked about this in the Bible class, the sinner's prayer. That is a prayer that sounds good. And in fact, maybe there is even some, some good things that you can take from that. But, but there are so many uh, people in the religious world that talk about the sinner's prayer. Let me tell you, you never find the sinner's prayer in the Bible. And so you can say the sinner's prayer over and over and over again. And it may sound good to everyone around you, but it will not 
because it's not found in Scripture, bring, bring one to salvation. You know what brings one to salvation? That which has been revealed. You want to be equipped to be a Christian? You got to come to his scripture, all scripture that is inspired by God, not inspired by man. So when you think about a verse like Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. Again, that word deed is the same word for work. This is why a verse like this is so incredibly impactful. If it's not from the Lord, if it's not in, if it's not in his name, it cannot be it cannot be, uh, if it's not from his will, then it cannot be a good work. We quote this passage a lot, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, and for good reason. But, but we need to ask, do, do we really mean it when we say it? That whatever I do, in word or deed, I'm going to do all in the name of the Lord. We rightfully expose unscriptural choices that, that many denominations make in, in, in some things. But sometimes I think we act the same way but maybe in smaller scale decisions. We may not go as far with some decisions like using the Lord's money to, to build a gymnasium for no purpose other than just to have fun. We may not go that far, but I think we do show this lack of, of desire to figure out what is a good work in smaller decisions. When you think about modesty, seriously, can, can I truly point to God's will and find my standard there, or am I just simply saying, this is probably okay? I know many Christians who do the latter. They cannot point to you one scripture that talks about how you are supposed to be clad, how you are supposed to be clothed as a Christian. And, the, and, and so everything they do is just purely based on their own thought. How do you live like that? I mean, there are all kinds of people that live like that. Not, not Christians. Christians are supposed to live. They're supposed to make every decision and come to every conclusion in their mind specifically by God's will. How can you say that you're doing that if you have no point of reference to make, your own, to make some of these decisions? You think about the our modern dancing today, which is, which is defined as lasciviousness and lewdness in the Bible. Are we certain that, that, that you know, in, in these kinds of settings that we can engage in that kind of behavior... Are we, are, are we certain about that? Can we point to the Bible and say, this is why I think it's okay? Or do we just say, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it, does it really so directly talk about this kind of action? Does it really directly talk about that? So, so you know, it's probably okay. You know what's wrong with that sentence, both of those sentences we just talked about? The word probably. If you say probably, you clearly have not looked into God's will. Because when you look into God's will, it's certainly I know that I'm saved. Certainly. Why? Because I can point to you the scriptures that tell me what I needed to do to become a Christian and what I need to do to stay a Christian, to maintain that life of purity and holiness. I'm certain about that because I can point to scripture. We need to be certain in everything that we do. We don't want to be guilty of presumptuous sins as, as we've talked about in the past and as David talks about so often in his Psalms. So, so that is how we define what a good work is. Not by our own inspiration, not by our own thoughts, not by someone else's thoughts that we really trust. It is purely and simply and only by God's revelation. No one else. So, the final question is, are we equipping ourselves truly? Looking at what we read at the beginning in verses 14 through 15. 
I think we find uh, really the solution to how we need to equip ourselves, what we need to be doing, a few things that we can be doing, and, and I think we ultimately find a lot of issues that come up today by looking at that solution. Now, first of all, if we want to be prepared and equipped like Timothy was, we need to emulate what Paul says about Timothy's life and preparation up to that point and at that time. So what are a few things that he says? First of all, he talks about how Timothy has, has learned God's will and all of God's will. He talks about how all scripture is inspired by God. And in, in verse 15, that you have known the sacred writings which were able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He, he talks about how he has learned these things from childhood or as early as possible. Now, we'll talk more about that in just a moment because maybe not everybody has known about the scriptures since childhood. But I think the point is, as early as possible, he put these things into practice. And thirdly, he never let go of them. He says, continue in the things which you have learned. Timothy had done a pretty good job up to this point, it seems. And so here, here is just a very, it's not an exhaustive list, but here's just a brief list of how we can start going about equipping ourselves to be a man or a woman of God, someone who is actually truly dedicated to God. Now, the problem arises if we, if we aren't approaching God's will in this way that Timothy was, if we aren't approaching it with this attitude. If we're not, we won't be equipped, period. If we do not view the scriptures, if we do not come to it in the same way that Timothy did, frankly, in the same way that Paul did, we're not going to be equipped. So you think about how he says, you've known the sacred writings, and he talks about all scripture in verse 16. The problem often arises when, when we start cutting things out, when we don't view all scripture as valuable. And, and we've even given some illustrations so far this morning that kind of shows an attitude that, that, that reveals that clearly that somebody doesn't think that all scripture is valuable. Because, well, maybe something's been said about modesty, but, you know, we'll just forget about that. What's interesting is that when Paul talks about the sacred writings, what is he talking about? Well, they didn't have the New Testament the way me and you do. They had the scriptures the Old Testament, and they had some letters circulating around as they were trying to learn more about Christ and the gospel. What's interesting about Paul's writing here is that he says, you've known the sacred writings from childhood, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. So what is he talking about? The Old Testament, that was supposed to show you something. It is leading you. It is giving you wisdom that leads to salvation in Christ. Now, Timothy could have looked at the gospel, he could have looked at like some of the arguments we looked at in Romans chapters 1 and 2, and, and he could have just said, you know what, the Old Testament, it doesn't really shine a very good light on Israelites, so I'm just going to kind of throw some of that away, and you know what I'm going to do, I'm going to focus especially on how it says that the gospel, has, salvation has come to the Jew first, and then the Greek. I mean, the Old Testament didn't shine a very good light on Israel, but you know, it, it kind of shines a good light on us in the New Testament, right? Well, he would, have been, he would have been neglecting much of what Paul had said other than that. But, but he could have started cutting things out of his study to make himself look good or to make other Jews look good. But he, but he didn't do that because he had, he had the proper mindset about all Scripture. I would ask, are we specifically leaving things unchecked? Are we specifically leaving things unanswered? Are there questions we're refusing to ask because maybe we're just afraid of the answer? Unfortunately, I've known some Christians who <laughs> have even said that out loud. 
I, I'm too afraid to study this because I'm afraid of what I might find. That should not be spoken from a Christian. Ultimately, we are saying we don't need all Scripture if we don't approach God's will and try to learn all of it and try to learn it the way God presents it to us. We can't cut things out just because we don't like it or we are afraid of what we'll find. Well, not only that, but he talks about, again, that he had learned this from childhood. And, and I know that sometimes there are people who come and, and hear the gospel for the first time. Not, and, you know, for me personally, I grew up hearing the gospel every single Sunday, every single Wednesday. And so it, it was different for me. There are some people who just don't have that kind of opportunity, don't have that kind of blessing. And so they hear it way down the line. They hear it way later in their lives. Well, this is just, there's nothing for them because they didn't have it from childhood. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what Paul is really pushing with Timothy is that Timothy didn't just learn it in childhood, but he practiced it. He began practicing it and he kept going in it. He didn't just learn it. He applied it and lived by it every single day. The question is, are we parents? Are we making sure that our kids start making decisions based on God's will early? Are we just going to wait and let them kind of decide, well, we want to let them make their own decisions. Are we going to start presenting them the opportunity to think through, well, should I be doing this? There was a preacher that I was asking about how to parent because Paige was pregnant at the time. And, uh, or, or, yeah, she was pregnant at the time, and I was just asking him some questions, and he's giving me advice. And he said, you know, there was one time that my son had a baseball game, and it was during a gospel meeting. And, and I gave him the choice. I said, you know what? It's your call, because he was kind of fussing about it. He said, it's your call. I'm going to let you tell me what you should do. And, and should you skip the gospel meeting and go to the baseball game uh, that you can play in, or should you skip the baseball game and go to the gospel meeting? And his son just told him to his face, I, I, I'm going to skip the gospel meeting. I'm going to go to the baseball game. And you know what the, the, the old veteran preacher said? Wrong answer. You're coming to the gospel meeting. Because you still live under my house. But you know what? I think, it's a, I think it's appropriate and it's a good idea to present those opportunities early. And it's not just with children. Maybe we had no exposure to the Bible growing up. But what are you doing now? What are we doing for each other now? Are you making up for lost time? Because that's what we should be doing. There was so much time that I had lost. Now I'm dedicating fully my time and fully my effort in trying to learn and be, become equipped. Well, finally... Timothy never let these things go, but the problem arises often when we don't do the same thing, when we don't continue in it as Timothy did and as he was told. If we don't hold to it diligently. You know, when you're preparing for a test, what do you have to do? You have to prepare. You can't just, the day of, after no preparation, no thought whatsoever, just sit down and ace the test. No. There are some people who do that, but it's not. It's because they have prepared in some shape uh, or form or fashion. Maybe it wasn't as much as the other person. But nobody's going to ace the test without preparing in some way. I would ask, have we been preparing ourselves? Are, are we currently preparing ourselves? Or have we kind of stopped or paused because, you know, I've already read through that before, so I'm good. I don't think you ever get to a point where you're good enough to just not study God's word, any portion. Um, there are different occupations that, that require individuals to go to like yearly seminars so that they are prepared for today's issues, so that they know what's going on 
the current affairs of the company, the current affairs of the technology that they're using, doctors especially, they have to go to seminar after seminar after seminar. And why? Because they need to be updated. Because this, we're talking about people's lives here. And, I mean, that's a good idea. I think that's appropriate. They need to be doing that because it's such a serious issue. Do we view eternal life with God or without him as a serious issue? Do we really think that we can be prepared to do every good work and not be continually studying or meditating and practicing his will? Answer, you can't. To please God fully, you cannot just get by, but you have to bear fruit in every good work. Now, coming back to that question earlier, are you equipped? Are you equipped to be a Christian? Have you been neglecting certain parts of his will? Have you been masquerading unscriptural works and, and acting like they are good deeds? Have you just been kind of living a false uh, facade of a faithful life, hoping no one will notice? Have you been dedicated to every good work God requires of you? If not, the answer is equip yourself now. God doesn't leave us in an impossible position to say, you know what, you're done. We have the tools that we may be capable, that we may be adequate to do every good work. Are we utilizing it? So Christian, if you haven't been dedicated in this arena, if you haven't been pulling your weight and doing what God expects of you and requires of you as a servant of God, as one that is supposed to be dedicated to him, dedicate yourself to the pattern of Timothy. Start there. Use brethren as he could have used Paul for accountability and, and for encouragement. There's no shame in that. There is, however, great shame in wasting the opportunity of repentance and growth that God has given you. If you are not a Christian, let me just say, you cannot be equipped in all of these ways. We're, we're talking about the mature Christian this morning. You'll never be equipped to be a mature Christian if, you're not first, if you haven't first become one. Are you equipped to be a Christian? You have the gospel in front of you. God has given you the means to obey him, to be a part of his kingdom this morning. You are very equipped to become a Christian. The question is, are you going to dedicate yourself to him or are you just going to try and get by? Let me tell you, everyone that just tries to get by in judgment, they will have utterly failed the test. But if you equip yourself... Even if you equip yourself this very morning, you can know for, with certainty that in the judgment you will be able to be standing among the sheep that the great shepherd has accrued for himself and has saved by his own blood. Are you willing to be baptized and washed and wash your sins away through that blood? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.